Belchi Road, Zedo Biha. Welcome once again to Crown of Biha Short Stories and Poetry. I'm Terence O'Donnell, your Irish skillet. So I'm glad you've decided to take a little time out from your busy day to listen to some more stories and poems from medium writers. This week I've got several great readings for you. Three poems, a sonnet, a couple of real short stories, the third chapter from the science fiction serial story we started from Don Woodby, and Robert J. Longfrey's twelfth chapter from Sanctuary. So come in, sit down for a bit, listen to what I have for you. Just a reminder that I've got a small commercial for you at the end of the readings, so please stick around and learn how to support my work a little. Thank you. Now the first story we have is the continuing saga of Mars and Wren, from Don Woodby. It's from Beyond the Water Wall, Chapter 3, Arm Replacement. And he published this in the Fiction Writer's Den. Mars lay on a cold, hard bed. From in between the blur, Wren's image emerged on top of him as if she came straight from a dream. His eyes moved from one side to the other, peering. His breathing was heavy. He tried to stand up, but his body was fastened. Calm down. Go back to sleep, her muffled voice danced around his ears. He wanted to comply. Nothing would be easier than just letting go. As he fought the urge to rest his eyes and sleep again, he realized her face looked much younger. He couldn't recognize the place. He lay on a metal bed, surrounded by screens and wires and machines. He could only glimpse at her. She soldered something in his left arm. He couldn't feel it. Unable to fight it any longer, he gave in and slept. Why do you look so different? He woke up to Wren's voice. There was something queer about her countenance. She looked as if she were holding off a smile, the same way his wife always did when uncertain about good news. He felt well rested, but still confused. He lay quiet, lingering. Where's Woo-Woo? He asked after some moments. She squinted. Who is Woo-Woo? He looked deeply into her dark eyes. Her hair was shorter than usual. It fell over her face, covering a small cross-shaped scar on the left part of her forehead. Where have you been all this time? She insisted, raising her quavery voice. She placed her hands on his shoulders and pressed him, almost angrily, slightly harder than what a call for attention would be. She stood there for some moments in silence, waiting for a reply. Mars' mind was numb. He was exhausted. Wren unfastened the leather straps that held him to the bed. He sat up and scanned the place. It was only then that he saw his left arm, or the absence of it. A cylindrical metal object was in its place, something similar to a small cannon. He reached for the blue button where the upper part of his knuckles was supposed to be. Don't press it, Wren shouted. His finger quickly snapped away from it. Check if the safety is on first. He didn't answer. She raised her voice as he stayed silent, examining his arm closely. Say something! I've seen this place somewhere, but I can't remember when, he said, faintly, almost a whisper. Her eyes sparkled and she quivered. You live here. What are you talking about? We don't. We live together with our daughter. And you're a bit older? His voice dimmed at the end of the sentence. It sounded like a question rather than a statement. Wren squinted. 
We don't have a daughter. We wanted to, but you... You died. Mars gawked at her, puzzled. How old are you? Thirty-nine. Her eyes twitched. You were thirty last week. She stopped for a moment, looking at him as if waiting for an answer. He could come up with anything better than silence. She pulled his hand and said, Let's walk outside. It'll be good for you. Maybe something will come back. Mars followed her, alternating between peering at his surroundings and checking his new arm. As they walked outside, stepping on that grimy pavement, Mars felt distant. Loneliness crept deep inside him as he thought about his wife and daughter. The neon signs projected a blinding glow on the walls of the tall buildings that surrounded the streets. Rusty metal and worn-down wires escaped through the cracks in the walls. A distinct smell spread in the air. The steam from the exhaust mixed with the smoke coming from lit-up trash cans where many groups of people gathered around. They were all similar at first. They wore leather jackets and jeans. Every other one had a glass of beer in their hands. Some smoked electronic cigarettes, and most of them wore shades. In every block, at least one big billboard hung far above. They showed the same man, thick and bald, with a large nose that caused a sense of repulsion, giving a speech. It wasn't audible. It wasn't audible, but his movements could have been taken straight out of a history documentary. Wren pointed at a small, poorly lit store in the corner. Here's where we normally buy food. The entrance door was narrow, and not much movement could be seen outdoors. A small neon sign showed that it was open. The walls seemed freshly painted, but you could see sprayed-on graffiti symbols in red and black. The red symbols resembled an eye with an arrow cutting through it in the middle. The dark ones looked like a knife with a five-point star for a shaft. Broken glass bottles lay on the ground near the door. Wren led the way in. Better on the inside, right? She smiled and grabbed a small cart. They strolled through the long and wide alleys. Tall metal shelves were filled with products. Mars was not familiar with most of the brands. The mix of the blue and red lights seemed to pose no distraction to the ones inside. People paid automatically using their phones, so no cashiers worked there. A couple of heavily built men sauntered around, observing their clients like hawks. Wren seemed to know exactly where to go. She grabbed some rice, canned goods, fish, meat, cheese, and noodles. Shortly before paying, she threw some quail eggs into the cart. At that moment, he felt a warmth in his chest. She was Wren. He didn't know how, but deep inside he felt it. Let's go home, she said, as Mars put the groceries in plastic bags and carried them with his one functional hand. She glimpsed at him, nodded slightly, and showed a hint of a smile. Mars walked back in silence. His heart beat fast, and he always took deep and long breaths, trying to keep his mind calm while all the information swirled around him. Wren showed him something from time to time. A park, a place that used to be a movie theater. Even an alley where they used to make out a long time ago, according to her. He broke his stillness. I've never seen any of that. Wren's heart palpitated. A drop of sweat ran down her neck. She opened her mouth, trying to conjure some words, any words, but she gave up midway. The last thing I remember was pushing you and Woo out of the way and getting shot in my left arm, he said. She gawked at him with her eyes wide open. We were on a cruise. She listened to it as he told her everything. Her muscles started to loosen up, responding to the new information, slowly realizing that he might have been telling the truth. 
or at least he firmly believed it. He was back, somehow. It wasn't the same, but it was something. I don't know, she said. This is all a bit too much. But I know you're not lying. Something is clearly off, and there must be an explanation. They strolled through the streets, on the opposite side of the one they were on before. This time Rand was the one in silence. As he told the story and spoke about his wife, she could finally recognize the same passion she had always seen. He was different. He was older. He clearly didn't belong here. But she was drawn to him as much as she always had been. The way back home felt somehow shorter. I'm going to tell you now what happened on this side, she said, as she held his hand. But we have to go in first, or maybe they will hear it. She quickly pulled him back home. So that's chapter three. And I will continue this story um, as we go along, because the mystery is starting to get pretty good. My next is a poem. It's called The Bluebird's Last Song from Lark Morgan, published in Morgan's Wake. The bluebird looked at the sky with forlorn eyes as she landed on a crystal fountain. The sky was beckoning her. The waters were flowing ever so steadily, as if they knew she would still live on, a cycle of death and rebirth. She recalled the beautiful memory she had under the sun, flights through the rain, and breathtaking sights that could only be captured by a bird's eye view. She sang one final song, and those who felt the weight of dreams in the silence of the night would remember it and treasure it when few things could ever offer solace in times of turmoil. Her time on earth was done, but the song would carry her legacy through the ages. Now I have another poem here. It's called A Cup of Tea in the Morning. It's the Little Things in Life That Make a Difference by Mark White. Morning Bliss, a poetic ode to the joy of your first cup of tea. In the quiet dawn, when the world is still, a moment unfolds a ritual thrill. As sunlight whispers through the sleepy haze, I embrace the joy in those early rays. The kettle hums in melody sweet, a symphony of warmth, a comforting beat. The fragrance of leaves, a dance in the air, as I prepare for the magic that brews with care. A porcelain cup, a vessel of dreams, held in my hands were solace streams. The first sip, a journey to a tranquil shore, a symphony of flavors, a course to adore. The amber elixir, a liquid embrace, awakening senses, a gentle grace. Hints of earth and whispers of spice, a celestial potion, a morning vice. As tendrils of stream ascend and twirl, they carry away the worries that swirl. A moment suspended, time pauses the sanctuary of my morning's cause. The world may be bustling, a hurried parade, but in this quietude, joy is handmade. With every sip, a connection is profound to the simple pleasure that in tea is found. Oh, the joy of that first cup of the morn, a symphony of flavors, a solace reborn. In the embrace of warmth, troubles dissolve, and with each sip, a new day evolves. Next, I have a short story. It's called Golden Flex by David Pahor. Biorobotically enhanced humans can induce fundamental changes in their bodies, and so can their masters. On the world off the Sagittarius arm, we had blocked mind speak in subspace comms and sat on a stream soft bank beneath a maroon sun holding hands. After an eternity, 
the wind with a hint of sweet evergreens picked up, ruffling her hair. I had to grip harder, not to lose her touch to the involuntary twitching as the nanotech started reinforcing electroactive polymers in our muscles. The golden flecks in her blue eyes were already shriveling, relating to the change in my own pupils. War is coming, she said. Next is the sonnet I mentioned in the beginning. It's entitled Ocean Dangers Howl and Warn, a sonnet by J.F. Danskin and published in Mercury Press. Alone upon a howling shore by morning, cold rocks lie black and jagged in the bay. The slippery seaweed banked by days of storms, it channels me. I cannot walk away. Relentlessly the ocean throws and mocks, while circling seagulls cackle wintry rhymes, and craggy reefs are clues to ancient plots, tales of shipwrecks stretching through the times. I smile, insight deciphering the vastness, all shifts and dangers, shores with driftwood burnt, coastline bays that offer risks and fastness, inseparable from rhythmic water's churn, a patch of sands in sight, one rock hop away, my lifeboat self evades the swell of day. Next, I have a short story, sort of. It's almost a poem here. It's called Waldo, When You Ask the Right Questions, by Willow Reed. I remember when the stars fell to the earth. My mother thought it was a ball of lightning. My father thought it was a gigantic space rock. Our guesses would fall short of the apothecary who prescribed realism and practicality for our delusion. He reassured me that nothing fell to the earth that day, yet I was not convinced. I was all but discouraged and questioned whether or not speculation is the mere symptom of ancient delusion or modern enlightenment. The apothecary's eyes went wide and scrambled the shelf behind him, muttering, No, no, where is that? Ah! He let out a satisfactory sigh slowly turning with a grin. The contents slammed the counter, obscure with a heavy layer of dust. He swirled particles with his breath, and I turned my head, forbidding a sneeze. I've been saving this for a very special occasion. The jar was partially littered with dirt, and in the faint light I gathered pigments of red and orange. This, he raised a small container to eyeshot, contains the potent Inquisitor Exterminator, also known as Stop asking questions before you endure the same fate as Waldo, he said that last part fast, and pressed his weight against the slightly deteriorating checkout counter. His stringy mustache concealed his lips. You wouldn't want to end up like poor Waldo now, would you? he uttered in a whisper. Behind those spectacles were the eyes of a man with certainty. They weren't light like the old golden oak painted on the counter. They were dark and piercing earnest truth to my wisdom. Something ominous and daring. I did not have the courage to advert my gaze. Fear penetrated my spine, and I swallowed, nodding slowly. There would be no more questions and no more answers. I would never know if it was the stars that fell to the earth or if it was something else. Needless to say, it was the least of my worries. A chilling thought anchored my stomach to the earth. What the hell happened to Waldo? And next I have a poem. It's entitled, Where's My Beloved? by Zena. I like the ash, its leaves once green. Where has my love unseen been? Its branches swayed a silent tongue. 
no answer, and the wind was strong. I asked the ash, its bark so gray, where wanders love, who went astray? Its leaves, like whispers, rustled low. No answer came, the silence grew. I turned to poplar, gold and bright. Where vanished she, my heart's delight? It showered leaves, a crimson rain, a mournful echo of my pain. To poplar tall, with hopeful plea, my love, where are they? Tell me. Autumn leaves, a golden rain, whispered secrets, but in vain. Then autumn's voice, in wind-blown sigh, love's journey unknown beneath the sky. It poured its tears, a silver stream, and mirrored to my broken dream. Oh, rain, I cried, where can she be? The teardrops fell in sympathy. They mirrored mine, a mirrored pain, as sorrow washed a window pane. The moon, a witness in the night, hid from my plea in veiled white. O cloud, I begged, where has she flown? The cloud dissolved, no answer known. The moon, a veiled and silver eye, offered no solace to my cry. Where dwells my love? The cloud I chased, but only blue sky its answer traced. Where has my love gone, sky so blue? The wind answered, they're part of you, no longer lost, no longer far. My love lives on within a star. In memories held, in lessons learned, in every tear and every word, my love transformed a guiding light, forever shining, ever bright. And lastly, for this week, I have the twelfth chapter of Robert J. Longpre's Sanctuary Story, Roadside Cafe in a Tiny Town, Finding Gas on the Journey Towards Home. And this was published again in Life Through a Lens. When he reached the town, he noticed the gas station was still open, as well as an adjoining cafe. With sigh of relief, Carrie pulled up to the pump and used the prepay option at the pump, rather than go into the gas station to prepay. He still hadn't used any of the extra gas he had stored in the gas cans, though he would have to do so very soon if he hadn't been able to fill up the pump. He didn't even bother to look at the price of the fuel. He washed his windshield, which had become smeared with bugs hitting the glass. He heard the click of the gas flow shutting off. Placing the squeegee back into its holder, he went to squeeze as much gas into the tank as he could, only stopping when a bit of gas backed up and dripped down the side of the Jeep. Out of habit, he clicked on the button for a receipt for the purchase. Then, getting back in the Jeep, he drove away from the gas station and restaurant. He had gone about a block and found a place to park in what appeared to be an abandoned house driveway. He didn't want to have the Jeep tempt anyone who would see it while he was in the cafe. Just to make sure the Jeep would still be there when he returned, Carrie once again put the boot on the driver's side front wheel. Satisfied, he went to the cafe. What do you have, young man? asked an older woman who looked tired, but still managed to have a cheery voice. Well, what do you suggest? Carrie replied with a smile. I'm hungry enough to eat just about anything. At this time of day, the best we have will be eggs, ham, or bacon, and hash browns, our breakfast special. Sounds perfect, thanks. Waiter, brown toast. Brown, please. Now that's what I like, a young man with manners. Coffee? Yes, please. While he was waiting for his order, Carrie went to use the facilities and wash up. When he returned to the small table, he saw that three others had come into the cafe. Carrie could tell they weren't local people by the way they demanded service. Just give me a minute. I'm alone in the kitchen, the woman called out. Carrie could see that the men were going to be a problem. 
he slipped behind the counter and pretended to be the waiter. Sorry about that, gentlemen. I just had to go to the bathroom. How can I help you? A menu. We're starved, the shortest man demanded. He was overweight and sported a raggedy beard. Carrie located the menus by the cash register and gave one to each man. They began to argue amongst themselves about what to order. Can I make a suggestion, Carrie offered. I'm listening, the short man spoke with the other two nodding. Well, the cook makes a mean breakfast special, eggs the way you prefer them, bacon or ham or both, with heaps of hash browns, and of course, toast and bottomless cups of coffee. Both ham and bacon, three orders. You might as well bring the coffee while we're waiting. We don't have all night. As Carrie turned to look at the woman, she gave him a grateful smile. He smiled back and whispered his order could wait until the three guys were served. Carrying the coffee to their table, he asked about their toast preferences. Then, on inspiration, he asked them if they wanted to start with a slice of pie or a muffin. Now that's what a man needs. Pie first, laughed the dark-haired and beardless member of the group. I told you stopping at a roadside cafe in the boonies would be a good idea. Three quarters of an hour later, the three paid their bills and left the cafe. Carrie sat at his table where the woman had placed his meal. As he started to eat, she took a seat across from him. You didn't have to do that. You were a lifesaver. My mother would have been disappointed if I didn't help out. She's a stickler for stuff like that. She'll be proud of you, she said. Now, what's a young man like you doing traveling at this time of day? I'm going home. Our house is near Beaver Creek. Carrie had named a town about 50 kilometers south of the cabin. That's too far for you to drive tonight, she admonished. Where do you intend to stay overnight? There's a motel about an hour from here in Grassy Narrows. Want me to call him for you? I'd like that very much, Carrie said in appreciation of her help. That's about as far as I'd want to go tonight. A short phone call resulted in a room being booked for Carrie at the motel. Thanks for taking care of the room for me. It sure will be good to get some rest. Now how much do I owe you? The meal is on me. You were a lifesaver, and it was the least I could do. Carrie knew better than to argue. That was another thing his mother had taught him, how to accept gifts with grace. Can I at least give you a hug and thanks for a wonderful meal in your company? With pleasure. Carrie left the cafe with renewed spirits and with the pleasant thought that it would only be another hour until he could crash and get some solid sleep. So that's all I have for you this week. I hope you enjoyed the stories and the poems I brought to you. So with that, um, listen to my little advert on my website and and this podcast, uh, and then I'll close out the show. Thank you. I'll talk to you again next week. Slancha. I want to take this time to ask for a donation of any amount to help me keep this podcast going, if you can, and to also explain how to find my website and what's inside when you arrive at the door. My podcast will remain free to subscribe to on all the major podcast apps at Substack for the first month, and on my YouTube channel, Krana Biha. I have set up a donation link on Krana Biha Stories and Poetry at rss.com and a donation is paid on my website at www.kranabiha.com, all using PayPal for your security. Think of it as me passing my hat around to you at the end of my visit each week. If you like this podcast, please share it with everyone you know in your social circles as the writers I showcase in this podcast deserve all the exposure they can get. I created this podcast for them because I love to read their work and I believe it should be shared with the world. Now I want to explain how to find my website. Since this show is audio only, 
just type in www.cranna-beatha.com in your browser and search for it. The website domain name is Gaelic and may be a little hard to find unless you know what you're looking for. Then bookmark it if you like it. I also have the RSS feeder enabled, so if you like my blog posts, you can be notified whenever I post something new. Search for www.cronabiha.com in your RSS feeder and set it up. Users finding the website for the first time will reach the welcome page to learn a little bit what's inside. There you'll see the homepage link at the bottom of the page. On the homepage, you can learn a little more about what Kronabiha means for a little bit of Irish culture and a little bit more about me in general. On the menu bar at the top, there are links to all the pages in the website. The blog section where I post podcast newsletters, blog articles, stories and poems, and a drop-down podcast menu with links to both podcasts, a donations page, an ad page to purchase my published books, and a contact page in case someone cares to leave a message. Thank you for your patronage and support. Gora Mahagan, thank you for listening to the show today. I hope you enjoyed the variety of stories and poems again this week. Maybe one of them might touch your heart a little. Disclosure for everyone, in order to read the complete stories and poems, you will need to sign up for subscription in Medium. If I see a link by the author on one of the stories to allow everyone to read it, I will let you know in the newsletters. Please return again next week for another episode of Cron de Bia Stories and Poetry. As a show decay, I want to continue to delight you with a story or poem that may bring you a smile or make you think a little bit after we part for the day. As I say goodbye this week, I wish to leave you with this Irish blessing as you go about your day. Long life and fair health to you. Salfada a ghost Slancha to Coet. Slango Foil. Goodbye for now.